In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today, gentlemen, I'd like to speak to you about a very important virtue in the life of, uh, of a priest, and that is uh, the virtue of temperance. Um, before I do so, I just wanted to make an announcement about the new alcohol policy. Uh, there has been somewhat of an interim policy over these last several months, uh, and after consultation with the executive committee, as well as uh, a conversation and dialogue with the Student Government Association and several me meetings with both Jeff and Nate and getting your input as well, uh, I'm going to be putting in place a new alcohol policy. I just want to run through it very quickly and then talk about this very important virtue. This will eventually, of course, be posted on the bulletin board and uh, it'll be available in the daily bulletin. First of all, in the area of human formation, of course, Temperance is a very important virtue, and so that's why this policy is an important part of our seminary life. St. John Paul II wrote that moderation and temperance are necessary in order to avoid obstacles in the way of the life of intimacy with God. Furthermore, during the time of formation, there's a need to develop a priestly asceticism in order to become an example of sobriety of life that will serve as a good example for others. So to develop this priestly asceticism, it means following a certain intense life of temperance. I think it's important to keep in mind, too, gentlemen, that the university prohibits any bars in residence halls, but they understand that the seminary, our life here, is unique, and it has a unique nature as a place of priestly formation. And therefore, they have given us some leeway in allowing a more flexible policy with regard to bars and use of alcohol. I believe that our policy should help promote a responsible use of alcohol and avoid giving any reasons for the university to be concerned. And the aim of our seminary alcohol policy is to promote several values, values that I want to in some way help you to accept as values and live the value of drinking in a social setting, not just simply individual, but social setting, the value of drinking in the context of a meal and not drinking for drinking's sake, drinking as an alternative way to relax, but not a default way to relax, and a training in the virtue of temperance and self-control. Those are the values that I hope to promote in, in this policy. Do not worry, I don't believe that they're draconian at all. The bar will continue to serve wine, beer, and, and yes, yingling beer, thank you, and soda. The bar hours will be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 to 10, Saturday, 8 to 11. The alcohol must be served, however, behind the bar and by a bartender. The only exception is for seminary functions or communal events when alcohol is served on the table for a meal. The bar can be opened and alcohol served by a bartender on other days and hours for designated seminary functions like a house party, something that we've decided to have as a seminary function. It can and will be open for those functions as well. In the case of a communal event, group of guys getting together for a sporting event, a number of you, maybe diocesan or class for a special dinner, 
that's not a designated seminary-wide function, like a house party, explicit permission for the consumption of alcohol must be granted by the dean of students or, in his absence, the rector. Alcohol can be consumed in the rec room, kitchen, patio, cave, and the JP2 room, but it must be served from behind the bar by a bartender. The possession or use of alcohol in one's room continues to be forbidden, and a violation of this provision is considered a grave offense, as it was before. During semester breaks, moderate use of beer and wine in the rec room and kitchen is permitted without the need for a bartender. Personally obtained alcohol may be stored in or above the refrigerator in the laundry room on a temporary basis for either consum consumption in accord with the alcohol policy or for the purpose of transporting at home. And so those are the basic tenets, if you will, and regulations with regard to the new alcohol policy. This again will be posted. Now, I want you to see this, of course, within the context of a virtue. And the virtue is, of course, temperance. So that's why I wanted to speak about that today in my rector's conference. Because it's a very important uh, virtue. It's a virtue that I think is very necessary for a priestly life and part of our priestly asceticism, living that ascetical life that is, um, is, is really a way in which we live our priestly ministry. Now, we are not dualists. You know, there's a sharp division between body and soul. We're not materialists that say that the only thing that's real is the visible. We're not spiritualists who say the only thing that's really real is the spirit. We are, to use a, a phrase of St. John Paul II, a unified totality, body and soul, visible and invisible. Nevertheless, we need this virtue of temperance. We need discipline. We need self-control. Why? Well, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. Right? Original sin. And you know, if you don't believe in original sin, I know you all do, but if you don't, just visit a school play yard and watch the second graders. And as soon as you see second graders playing in the, in the schoolyard, you realize there is original sin, right? It does exist. Um, Self-mastery is, is really essential to give of ourselves to others. It's critical. Our Lord himself speaks of it often. Take up your cross daily, for instance, and follow me. The motive for this asceticism, this discipline, this self-control is nothing other than identification with Christ. Remember his 40 days in the desert. Remember also things like his spending an entire night in prayer. His own personal living of that temperance is what we want to live. We want to live Christ's virtues. We want to make our life his. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that virtue of temperance is a way in which we self-identify with Christ. We actually, it's, it's incredible, we live his virtue, his life. St. Paul puts it this way. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So there is a need for discipline, self-control, because of original sin, but ultimately so that we might live the life of Christ in our life. 
That's not to say that pleasure is, should not be part of human experience. I know that because I have watched Father Gross eat Boston cream pie. And I know that that is a sign of true human pleasure. I just wish he wouldn't eat five pieces at once. But, right. So pleasure is a part of human experience, and a good part of human experience. As a matter of fact, we would not do certain things that are good or would find it more difficult without that kind of, of pleasure. Yet, pleasure must be morally regulated. In view of the movement of the human person, the whole human person, toward our ultimate goal, the goal of human life, which is communion with God. So we live temperance because pleasure needs to have that order and that regulation in our life. It needs to be ordered ultimately to who we're to be, another Christ, and where where to go, if you will. Communion with the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That kind of ordering of our life is what virtue does. Temperance is one of those ways to order ourselves properly. Temperance, as we know, is spoken of often in both Old and New Testament. Some words, like moderation, self-control, are used to speak of this virtue. But the basic idea that's not only found in the written word of God, but also in, in Greek and Roman philosophy as well, although maybe a bit different at times than we would accept as Christians. But temperance, the basic idea is that it is a power of the soul, an ability to stick to the middle of extremes of too much or too little in matters of pleasure. Once again, in relation to the true goal of human life. The goal of holiness is that goal. Temperance temperance makes us better human beings, better creatures of God, better sons of God so that we can be saints. Now, I'm sure that all of you know that this virtue isn't exactly appreciated in our times. I don't want to contrast necessarily our times with others. All times have their difficulties and trials and foibles and maybe certain sins that shone more. But in our society, temperance is not exactly the most lived of virtues. I was just looking at some statistics, and and a few of them frightened me. I remember when I was a a college chaplain, you know, the the kids at at this particular university would have beer parties where the floor was literally a pool of beer. They would ruin the wooden floors because of their beer parties. They would binge drink several times a week. And I was hearing their confessions, right? So I, I, I know this firsthand. With regard to food, of course, we all know the statistics, statistics concerning people being overweight and obese. 69% of adults aged 20 years and older are either overweight or obese. 69%. I remember when I was living in Spain, the Spaniards would come back from the United States and they'd say, ooh, we could tell we were in the United States because we saw the size of your people, right? They would arrive in New York on the plane and notice a big, literally, big difference. 
About four to five college students drink alcohol, and among those four to five college students, about half of them consume alcohol through what they term binge drinking. Half of those that drink are binge drinking. With regard to human sexuality, 88% of unmarried young adults between the ages of 18 and 29 are having sexual intercourse. So there is a need for this virtue today. A need so that people can get to heaven, basically. And the, the key, of course, to this, this, this virtue and the radical proclamation of this virtue in our, in our culture today is really mortification, to once again re-preach and reintroduce people to this dying of self. Mortification, you know, mortis facere, to make death. Our world doesn't necessarily understand that because they view death much like a fish being brought out of water. They think they're going to die. They can't exist, right? But we have to be good fishermen, realizing that the life that we breathe is exactly what the fish need, even though they're frightened, even though they think they're going to die. Yet you're, you and I are to introduce them to a new life. But it comes by way of a kind of death in order to breathe eternal life. It is a dying to self. And it's the only way that we can live this virtue. It's not a denial of what is good in this world. No, and we should rejoice in those good things. Part of your, your human formation is to rejoice in the good things of art, of music, of the world around us. There are wonderful pleasures in this world that we can certainly legitimately experience. But the virtue of temperance orders our heart and mind and soul in such a way that those pleasures don't become our ultimate goal, that in the extreme don't take over our life, that don't harm us in our journey toward heaven. Temperance is not a hostility toward creation or the world or toward pleasure. Rather, it's a kind of dying to a disordered use of them and ordering them rightly. It is a saying no, yes, to sometimes of those pleasures. That's true. But saying no to what is damaging, to what is destructive, to what is disordered, so that we can ultimately say yes to what is truly good, what is true life, what is true joy. When you meet a temperate person, you can tell by their peace of mind and their joy. I have yet, in my priestly ministry, to meet an intemperate person who is really happy. Maybe at that moment, absolutely. But happy in their life? Never. It's not the source. Intemperance is not the source of joy. It's not lasting. And we want, not only for ourselves to experience, but others, the true joy of life. Now, I know you've not realized this, so I'm just going to throw out this uh, as something new to you. Seminary life demands temperance. All right? I know you didn't know that. Seminary life, believe it or not, I know you might give me a hard time on this, but involves mortification. All right? Of course it does. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. The church wants you, as seminarians, to experience 
a tight schedule, difficult living quarters. Of course, that depends on who lives next door. The disciplines that are involved in all four areas of formation, right? The human, the intellectual, the pastoral, the spiritual. There are disciplines, there are demands, there's a restriction in many ways. Why? Because it allows the institution of the seminary to introduce you to habits that will shape your character and strengthen your will. That will shape your character and strengthen your will. Some of you may have already begun to read Cardinal Sarah's book, all right? God or Nothing. I've just started it. And I'm, I hope maybe, maybe even some of you have finished it. There's a beautiful section right at the beginning when he enters the seminary, if you remember. And it takes him such a long journey to get to his seminary when he's 11 years old. And he describes this story of being on this boat down in the hull, sweating. They couldn't even eat because the, they were getting seasick and it was so hot. And yet he kept thinking the joy of being able to become a priest sustained him. The fraternity that he had with his brothers kept him going. I, I, I know Cardinal Sauer personally, and he is as, as it is described in that book. And I think that beginning of his life and the difficulties and struggles that he had, particularly in the seminary, formed and shaped his character. And I, I think is really shown us a very holy man, very holy man. But it didn't come without dying to self. It didn't come without difficulty. It didn't come without living temperance. There are advantages to living a temperate life. The first is real simple. It helps us be more human. It helps us be more human. Temperance gives us a freedom and kind of perfects, if you will, our will. Helps us to choose ever more freely. Because whether it's in food or drink or human sexuality where we need to practice this virtue, and those are the three main areas in which this virtue is practiced, no matter what area it might be, or all three together, in choosing to live temperance, we actually then become free of kind of our, our lower tendencies that come from our vegetative state or animal state. It frees us from being overcome with simply emotion. And we're able to direct and order it towards something higher. And therefore, our, our will and our intellect become refined, like a, a fine musical instrument that needs to be tuned. Well. All virtue helps tune that fine instrument. The fine instrument, of course, is you and me as a human being. The more virtuous a person is, the more truly human they become. If we were to not to, to, to tune a piano, it becomes less and less of a good instrument, right? And maybe even gets to the point where it no longer functions according to its nature. But this tuning is what virtue does and makes us fine, refined, and harmonious human beings. And unmoderate or 
intemperate life is sort of like a runaway train. And eventually, it will jump the tracks and cause a wreck. You have probably seen this, maybe in some, maybe your family members, friends. I have. I've seen it even among the clergy, where an intemperate life leads to wrecks. The wreck of a priest is far more dangerous and scandalous. The wreck of a priest is far more scandalous and dangerous. At some point, we can talk about that movie, Spotlight, that's coming up. There is a horrible example. So temperance directs our senses toward their, their final end and therefore makes us, really, helps us to be better human beings. It also, ultimately, helps, us, helps things from not controlling our life. In the sense of freedom, the lack of moderation makes us slaves to our passions and our appetites. We lose time, effort, ambition, purpose when we're enslaved by this. Often in, in, in confessions in a very general sense, and when you become priests, you'll hear lots of confessions, I hope. Um, you know, men come in sometimes and just talk about their difficulty in their, the business world. And they, they go out into a hotel for, you know, for an overnight somewhere, or they're a week away from their family, and they become intemperate in all these different areas, and their work suffers, their family life suffers. It doesn't lead to anything good. It doesn't. Temperance helps us to have control over those things and those pleasures. And it helps us not to lose our time. It helps us not to lose the strength, the ambition, the purpose of our life. With temperance, we truly live life to its full. And I would claim it helps us really enjoy life. Really enjoy it. It's not just simply the result of some quick pleasure. A temperate life in which we use the good things of this world and do enjoy those legitimate ordered pleasures is a joy that goes far beyond what the things in and of themselves can promise. All right. So what does temperance look like in the life of a priest? Well, people will know that you are marked by the cross because it involves mortification and they will see the cross in you. They will see a man of self-giving. They will see a man who truly knows what it is to be a priest, to make sacrifice, holocaust. Without this virtue, we're not able to give of ourselves. Normal activities which demand inconveniences self-control, selflessness, will become burden to us. You know, wh why does a priest kind of get to the point where everything is inconvenient? Nobody understands me. I don't want to do this. It's too much of a trouble to do that. Well, it's because he's not living temperance probably very well. In ordination, we become a, a new person. It's a character sacrament, right? We're configured to Christ in a unique way because we adhere to him and his way of life, sacramentally now, making him present. We're called to carry out as a priest the act of redemption as other Christ, alter Christus. And being Christ and bringing his redemptive power and new resurrected life unconquerable by death into people's lives demands a Calvary. 
demands self-control, demands self-mastery. The new life of a priest means that the old man's got to die. And maybe you might be experiencing that old man dying here in the seminary. It's going to hurt, but let him die. We also, as priests, become a sign for others. We are truly a public person, as our, one of our formation seminars is called, right? We're truly a public person. People do notice how temperate their priests are. When they see that we're not living a life as though the things of this world satisfy us, that proclaims a gospel, part of the good news to them. It becomes a sign to them. When we see that, when they see that self-control is that path to self-gift, they too will take up the journey. Pleasures and materials good must be in line with our ultimate good. So by living temperance, we're actually becoming a sign of heavenly life. We're raising people's minds, hearts, and literally, literally eyes to heaven. Often you will find in parish ministry especially, people living their interior life with their heads, their interior heads, if you will, to the ground. They're looking for signs of hope. They're looking for a way to, to, to bear their burdens and difficulties. They're looking for God's life and his grace. Anything that we can do as priests, not only in our priestly ministry itself, which is most powerful, but in our way of life to raise the head, if you will, the eyes of their souls up, the better off they will be and the more effective our priestly ministry will be. Temperance is that way. St. Thomas Aquinas says that temperance is especially important for ministers of the church so that they may carry out their duties with wisdom, he says. It's especially important for ministers of the church so that they might carry out their duties with wisdom. Practically speaking, I just want to make a few suggestions to be thinking about in your own life and eventually your life as priests. First of all, upon ordination, I would just suggest that you don't go on a spending spree. Right? You probably have enough debt to pay off, so you'll have money there. But every once in a while, I have noticed newly ordained priests, suddenly because they're getting now a regular salary, and for some of them, again, right, start buying lots of things, whether they need it or not. Not all, of course. And I met a lot of, and I had a lot of deacons when I was in the parish, transitional deacons, and they became ordained. And, but every once in a while, there is this tendency to go on this shopping spree. There's no such thing as father's car or Monsignor's car. You know what I mean? Oh, he's got to have a nicer car than most. He deserves that Lincoln Town car. Right? No, get a nice car, one that functions, but don't think or have the mentality that you deserve more simply because you're a father. Even though there is such a thing as a 370-inch TV, I looked it up. It costs $1.6 million. 
even though these things exist, I don't know where you put 370 inch TV, to be honest with you. I don't know. Um, I, we'd probably see one pixel, right? Because it's right up close. But just because these things exist doesn't necessarily mean that we need them, right? We don't need them. Neither does it mean that that special chair or that fine crystal or the best of restaurants or the latest gadget or the most expensive coffee or that special dessert other than Boston cream pie <laughs> is something that you deserve. Or need. I'm not saying not to have a television set, not to have a chair, not to have a car. But it's temperance in all things. Being moderate in our food and drink. When we're in public situations, people are going to notice. But we don't want to just live temperance simply because of that, but also because we need to live the virtue ourselves. So that the restaurant, the nicest restaurant, doesn't control our lives. It could. If we're waking up in the morning thinking, where am I going to dinner tonight? Right? That's a control. If we're looking for just the fine things in life, the fine things will be refining us. Our health and our safety always needs to be a concern. And so moderation in food and drink is also very important. Taking care of our physical well-being is an investment in our priestly ministry. And that means that moderation, of course. That means that mortification. It means self-mastery and self-control. It's an investment in who we are, including our physical well-being. I don't know how many conversations I've had with other priests, or even with a few bishops, who have commented that if only this priest could have been healthier, and they made healthier choices early on in their life, they probably would be healthier to take this parish, to be able to do this work. They'd be great at it, but their health doesn't allow it. And then finally, temperance in entertainment is also very important. There are so many choices today, thousands of channels, access to movies of all sorts, right on your iPhone and iPad, whatever it might be. Entertainment, we're immersed in an entertainment world. I love a movie, all right? I, I do. I've been down a couple of times already. I love entertainment. It's a good way to relax. It's not saying that those things aren't good, but we need temperance in our choices for them. Particularly because ever more than ever, right, in today's society, it's, it's so pervasive. And there's so many choices some of them, in and of themselves, are immoral. Right? Some of them, in and of themselves, are immoral. So we have to gauge, we have to temper. If we're, gonna, if we're going to act in any way, acting probably a little bit more strictly on ourselves because we're so immersed in entertainment is probably the better thing to do. And that's only because there's so many choices. And some of those choices can lead us to intemperance, to breaking the commandments and even to sin, right? Well, that's breaking the commandments too, so. Um, all right. So, gentlemen, we turn, of course, to Our Lady, always. We're here on her mountain, and everything that we talk about, everything that we live, is always under her mantle, literally here, 
on her mountain. She is, of course, the greatest of God's creatures, right? Higher than the angels, even higher than the priesthood itself. Yet she is the mother of priests, mother of vocations. And I would certainly say, I don't know if this title is correct, but mothers of seminarians, right? She's your mother too, of course, as a Christian. We can turn to her for her temperance, the virtue that she lived most perfectly among all, as well as all the other virtues, and ask for her help so that we can truly be men of self-control, self-mastery, truly men of self-sacrifice, living the cross, so that the life of her son is ever more clearly lived in us and as a sign of hope to others. And so we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady Queen of the Mount, pray for us. in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.